BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. A lot going on in Washington this week as House Republicans are poised to oust conference chair Liz Cheney. Many conservatives, and I among them, are tired of Cheney's fidelity to the Bush-era establishment politics and petty never-Trump mentality over issues that really matter, like election integrity. Several prominent Republicans, and of course President Trump, have endorsed Elise Stefanik as Cheney's replacement. But is this a good idea? Some House Republicans have expressed concern over Stefanik's voting record. Just the News reported this. The conservative Heritage Foundation's advocacy organization, Heritage Action for America, gave a higher rating to Cheney's voting record than Stefanik's. The organization assigned separate scores for each lawmaker's career voting record as well as the current session of Congress. Cheney's lifetime score is 98% compared to 48% for Stefanik. Cheney's score in the current session is 98%, holding steady, and Stefanik's is 84%. So there's a lot of discussion that happened over the weekend, with conservatives rightly wondering why Stefanik won't comment on her voting record. Now, I'm not saying that I don't support Elise Stefanik. I've said that I completely agree with House Republicans removing Cheney, but I simply want clarification from Stefanik on her voting record. She's trending up in her record, and I'll give her that. She's from a New York district, which isn't exactly Texas or Florida, so she does have a constituent base to consider as a representative. So what can the Republican conference expect from her if she's in a leadership position? We should be able to ask these questions, and Elise Stefanik should be willing to answer them. She's refused to come on the show and even answer or respond via her communication staff. Why? One of the things that I so greatly admired about President Trump and his unwavering willingness to be completely transparent was that he always answered any questions anyone had for him, even from members of a hostile press. Americans like me, who initially were very skeptical of him as a Republican candidate in 2016, came over to fully, totally support him because of his transparency and what became his track record of promises made, promises kept. He earned our loyalty. So where is Stefanik in all this? What's the end game for her? It would be nice to have some answers from her directly. So Elise, I get that President Trump endorsed you and that carries huge weight and will probably push you over the line to replacing Cheney. Good for you. But if you want to earn the respect and following of the American people, not just a leadership title, you need to answer the question. Come on my show anytime, the door's open. Well, someone who's not afraid to come on my show and always wears his comfy pants to discuss probably just about anything is Michael Knowles, host of Daily Wire and the the Michael Knowles Show. He's also author of the brand new book, Speechless. So, Michael, welcome to the program. 
Thank you for having me. It's so good to be with you. Absolutely. So, uh, so before we get into your book, which I'm super excited to do this deep dive, um, I want to get your reaction to the interplay that's going on here with the GOP. What do you think about ousting Cheney, and is Stefanik a good replacement? Republicans are experts at stealing defeat from the jaws of victory. They do this all the time. So is Liz Cheney a right to be a leader in the Republican House caucus? Of course not. Have Republicans tried to get rid of her before? Yes, and they failed. Now are they on the verge of doing it? Yes, we are. This is great news. Oh, fabulous. Someone who actually represents the Republicans. Who are we going to replace her with? Someone who is much more liberal, much more liberal, by the way. We're, we're not just talking about one issue here or one issue there. She opposed President Trump's decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. Okay, fine, this happens. She was not very supportive of President Trump's uh, policies to restrict immigration. Okay, fine, this happens. She voted for the Equality Act. She voted to redefine sex itself along the radical leftist's lines. Now, later, she apparently changed her mind and voted against the Equality Act. I'm glad that she did a, a flip-flop, and, and so she was only for the Equality Act before she was against it. But where does this woman really stand? Why on earth would we choose a more liberal person to replace her. As far as I can tell, there are two qualities that you want in GOP leadership. Someone who is loyal to the party and respects the GOP conservative base. Okay, that's the loyalty component. And then you've got the philosophical component. Are you actually a conservative? So Liz Cheney, not loyal to the party, doesn't respect the base and somewhat conservative, you know, a little squishy on some things, but okay, she's fine. Then you've got Elise Stefanik, who I guess is loyal to the party, kind of. She was kind of against Trump for a long time, but then she got on board and she was pro-Trump. So whatever, she you know gets a 50% there. And then on the philosophical issue, she's much worse than Cheney. So I just think you know, only Republicans could shoot themselves in the foot like this. When will we get a conservative to help lead the party? Yeah, and, and I completely agree with you. And I think that uh, Republicans here are being really short-sighted if we don't have the answers to these questions before replacing uh, Cheney with Stefanik. Because even though she came out very much in support of President Trump during both impeachments, you know, she has some of those uh, kind of high media presence elements. You have to go back and look at the voting record. And Michael, I'm just wondering, you know, in the last minute we have here in this segment, why do you think she's refusing to even address that point? Well, she knows it's a total losing issue for her. She knows that right now she's got momentum. She looks good. She's done well on media. She knows that the GOP plays identity politics just as much as the Democrats do in many ways. And so she knows that she's a woman and she's telegenic and she's articulate. So that's that's who has to replace the woman who was in leadership. And that's so, okay, fine, whatever. Uh. And so she's gonna she's gonna try to, to brush over all of the ideological issues that are there. But that's where the, the GOP should be focusing. Yeah, and you know, as a woman, I have to say I don't care who replaces uh, the, the Liz Cheney. I want someone who is qualified, who's competent, and who can actually be in a leadership position. I don't care their age. I don't care anything else about them. I want a pilot who can land the plane. That should be the yeah. most important. Why are we taking a page out of the leftist playbook and saying that somehow now gender matters and all this identity politics? Well, this is ridiculous. We'll be right back to talk more about identity politics and a lot more with Michael Knowles and we come right back on Just the Truth. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. 
With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Just the Truth, where we're talking with my friend Michael Knowles, who is the Daily Wire host of The Michael Knowles Show, and also the author of the brand new book titled Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. So, Michael, I want to get into a deep dive about this book, and I have to ask you, um, is this book blank also? Because it sounds like Speechless <laughs> is the perfect title for a second blank book, and that would be just amazing. Well, you know, Irony is at the heart of political correctness and wokeism, which is the topic of my book. So I felt it'd be sort of ironic to call that second book speechless. You know, I also thought it'd be ironic for a guy who is best known for a blank book to make his follow-up book about language itself. But that is how the left controls our culture, is, is they do it, I think, most effectively by, by perverting and controlling all of our language. Yeah, and I think that there have been uh, some great examples even just recently with, of course, Mother's Day. And I saw that Ben Shapiro got maligned over his uh, annual tweet, which I think is great that he highlights how we're not even calling women women anymore. They're birthing persons. And we have this whole hijacked terminology. And I was reading uh, just in Breitbart yesterday, there was this headline, um, if we get it up here, that says, uh, Canadian pastor arrested for, quote unquote, inciting people to attend to church. This is now a pastor is inciting people. That's crazy. Yes, it is crazy, but it shows you, I think, the, the trap of why conservatives lose on this issue. The thing I learned as I was writing this book about the history of political correctness, or I guess now it's called wokeism. One of the features, of course, is that they change all the language. So they, they change that word too. But one thing I learned is that the left understands free speech and censorship much better than we do. <laughs> we, I think we conservatives like to pride ourselves on we understand real free speech. No, the left gets it much better. And what they do is they lead conservatives into a trap. The reason why political correctness always seems to advance, no matter how hard we fight against it, is because either way that conservatives react to PC, advances what the left is trying to do. And what I mean by that is that political correctness is this purely negative campaign. It just seeks to undermine all the old standards. So now it undermines people going to church. It undermines the way we talk. It undermines the way we view men and women and everything else in our society. And so there are two ways conservatives react. You get the squishy types who react by just going along with the new standards. They say, sure, whatever you want. I'm supposed to call Bruce Jenner she? Okay, I'll call him she. That's fine. I'm supposed to not go to church on Sunday because Dr. Fauci tells me not to? Okay. I'll, they just roll over. So obviously that advances it. But then there's this other group of conservatives. They say, I'm not going to go along with the new standards. How dare you tell me what to say? How dare you tell me what to do? I'm a free speech absolutist. I'm a purist. I'm, and they defend all these things in the abstract. And what they end up doing is getting rid of standards altogether. But you see, the, the trap here is that either way you react, you either go along with the new standard or you give up standards altogether, either way advances the left's goal, which is simply to destroy the traditional standards of speech and of behavior. And so I think there's actually a third way that conservatives used to understand, but we've given it up recently, which is we need to defend our own standards. We need to offer a substantive 
moral vision of politics. You know, a lot of times when we talk about cancel culture, we'll say that the cancel culture is obviously going on and conservatives are getting their lives destroyed for saying perfectly mainstream, ordinary things. And the left will come back and they'll say, well, you know what, conservatives, you had cancel culture in the 1950s when you destroyed the lives of communists in this country, in Hollywood and in the State Department and in the federal government. And what I would respond to those people is, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We did. We had a culture in the 1950s where if you were a communist, if you were trying to undermine the American system of government, if you were working on behalf of our enemy, the Soviet Union, you did get ostracized. You were censored. Your speech was suppressed. And that's a really great thing. We have never in this country ever once, nor nor has there ever been this sort of thing in any other country, we've never had totally free speech. We have always had broad swaths of speech that are not permitted. You you know this very well as a a legal scholar. You're not allowed to engage in direct Mm -hmm. threats. You're not allowed to engage in sedition. You're not allowed to engage in fraud. You're not allowed to engage in obscenity. But, But in recent decades, because of this woke leftist revolution, we're now supposed to pretend that the founding fathers started the country to defend flag burning and pornography. That's simply not the case. That's, that's right. a very, very radical leftist interpretation. And so I, I think, I know this is going to be inimical to many conservatives. Uh, we're going to resist this because we don't like the word censorship and we don't like the word standards even. But we need to, uh, either we are going to uh, defend the boundaries of discourse and there always will be boundaries. Either we are going to set the standards or the radicals who hate our country and our way of life are going to set the standards, but someone's going to do it. And I, I would, I would much prefer that it be us. Yeah. And, and I think exactly what you just said, Michael, is so important for people to recognize that uh, the standards used to be the law. And that's why we have this whole idea of a moral and upright society and that our constitution is built on the declaration's mandate that our rights come from God, our creator, but that also government is legitimate. And I think the problem that a lot of conservatives have is that they're kind of ideologically drifting into libertarianism, which is basically there are no standards at all. I can decide for myself so long as it doesn't um, articulably harm you, which even that definition, they're very, very tenuously uh, grounded in because they can't articulate it to uh, anything beyond the non-aggression principle, which if you actually pinpoint them, they can't actually define what that means. But uh, they, they want to just say, well, there are really no standards because freedom itself means the ability for ultimate choice in absolutely everything. And so they don't understand that law is built actually on moral virtue. And I think that's where you're driving. And so for the people who would say, well, for any set of morality, why is it your morality that should control? Uh, I don't believe in God. And so I don't want the standards that we've had for the last 250 years. Well, because I'm right and they're wrong, <laughs> to put it bluntly. But what, what I mean, just the e- truth. even more seriously. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's just, that's just the, just the truth. Uh, what I mean more broadly, though, because everybody agrees with that. Everybody believes that they know what's right and that the people who disagree with them are wrong. So how do we figure out who's right? You have this radical liberal view right now, which says that we just can never know the truth, that we can never make moral uh, discernments. We can never use our faculties of reason. Those are hopelessly biased, right? That's what you hear from the woke left. The fact remains, if we cannot distinguish between good and bad and right and wrong and true and false, if the the radical relativists are right about that, 
then we can't have self-government because the whole point of self-government is that we can distinguish between these things and we the people can express our views on this matter through our representatives. You make such a great point here that, that conservatives have fallen into the language of libertarians, but frankly, that doesn't even give the libertarians enough credit. You know, I think of John Locke, the father of liberalism, no more classical liberal than John Locke. And he wrote famously in the letter concerning toleration that we have to tolerate everybody. And that's how we're going to have a peaceful, stable society. And everyone needs toleration except for atheists. Atheists can never be tolerated because if we tolerate atheists, we totally undermine the argument for toleration. I think about uh, Areopagitica. This is uh, probably the most famous and influential tract on free speech in the English language written by John Milton. And in it, John Milton says, we need to tolerate the speech of everybody except for Catholics. And I say, by the way, as a Catholic, that I understand his reasoning here because he, he was making the political point in the, the religious roars, wars that had roiled the United Kingdom that, or, or England, that uh, if, if one were to, to tolerate this kind of instability, then there, there would be no free speech to, to defend anymore because the, the country would have no, no stability whatsoever. So there, there are obviously going to be bounds here, even to the point on liberty. I think you hit on it so well. People now believe that liberty is just being able to do whatever you want to do at any, at any time, no matter how debased it is, no matter how harmful it is to oneself, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else in some abstract way, then, then it's totally fine. That is not what our founding fathers thought liberty was. That's not what serious statesmen have thought liberty is at any given point in history. The modern liberal view is that liberty means just do whatever you want. The, the traditional view is that liberty is the right to do what one ought to do. And the way I bring this down to earth, the way I, that it makes sense to me is, according to the modern liberal view, the heroin addict is the most free guy in the world, right? Because he, as long as he's got a couple bucks in his pocket, he can go get his hit and shoot up. And he's, how free, a paragon of liberty. But we know that guy is not free. That guy is a slave. <laughs> that guy is a slave to his base passions, mm -hmm. to his lower will, to his appetites and his most base desires. And true freedom, the higher will, is when you tame those base impulses. This is the purpose of liberal education. The right. liberal arts are there to, to help us make sense of our liberty and to attain that higher virtue. This is what our founding fathers talked about. John Adams famously said, our, our free government is only built for a moral and religious people. It is simply not suited to anyone else. And I think a recovery of that sense and, and a willingness to say, no, there are standards. There are some things you can't do and you shouldn't do because they actually undermine liberty. I, I think that's the only way forward. For, for a serious conservative politics. Yeah, and you know, it reminds me of uh, Galatians 22, talking about the fruits of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, self-control, all of these things that are part and parcel to self-governance. And then it goes on to say, you know, against such, there is no law. And when I look at that and I read that, you know, as a lawyer, um, it reminds me of the fact that law is instituted um, among men to reveal our sin, not to simply, uh, you know, to, to create those, those standards and those barriers, but to make sure that we understand the, the difference and the measurable difference between right and wrong and good and evil. There is a moral standard. And when we have those guardrails up, that's 
the legitimate purpose of government is to make sure that we can pr protect but also exercise true liberty. And that's where, Michael, I think that's exactly the, the crux of the conversation is that too many so-called conservatives don't have a genuinely conservative view of liberty and freedom. And they also aren't going back like you are to, uh, to John Locke and to the Founding Fathers and reading all of these things. They think that this has just arisen in the context of censorship right now today and whatever we think we need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to liberty and freedom. And we're debating all these ideas all over again without learning from eras past and understanding where we've come as a nation. So we're going to continue this conversation with Michael Knowles, uh, author of the brand new book, Speechless, when we come back on Just the Truth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Continuing the conversation with Michael Knowles, who is host of The Michael Knowles Show on Real Daily Wire and also the author of the brand new book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And Michael, we're talking about a really important conversation here, which is to get back to the genuine definitions of freedom and liberty. And these are the proper definitions of words and words have meaning. But this is a point that you make in your book is that the left has harnessed uh, the, the meaning of words so that they can manipulate liberty and freedom in any way that they want to. They can manipulate any term that they want to. And that's actually the first part of any policy debate is he who sets the definitions wins. And I'm seeing the left doing that with very little pushback from conservatives, except for, as, as you just said in the, in the last segment, except saying, well, no, we just want total 100% freedom and liberty. And we're refusing as a movement, I think, to go back and actually say, here are the standards and we are willing to defend them. I don't care what names you call me. Well, you, you need to do it because when you say a word, you're using your words to distinguish one thing from another thing, right? Words are just symbols that refer to objective reality. And if you describe something as one thing, then you can't describe it as a, a contrary thing. So a great example of this would be Caitlyn Jenner. And I know this is a big debate on the right right now because Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce, is now running for governor of California. And conservatives seem to be split on whether or not to support him in his run. In fact, they're split even on what to call him. Some people are calling him her, and some people like me are calling him him. And some people who call him her say that it's bigoted and terrible and awful to call him him. And some people who call him him say that it's deluded to call him her. Well, we've got to make a decision here because he's only one of these two things. And what it really gets down to is a, is a debate about human nature. The, the transgender movement largely comes down to this debate. In the traditional understanding of human nature, we are body and soul inextricably linked on this earth. You can't just separate one from the other. And the left has alternately uh, given different explanations. So the materialist view is that we're just meat puppets. You hear this from the sort of scientistic left. You hear this from the orthodox Marxists. They say we're just kind of bags of chemicals and meat and all our hopes and our joys and our, our dreams are, are actually just pistons firing off in our brain and it's all fake stuff and we take a dirt nap and turn to worm food when we die. Okay, that's one explanation. 
Uh, the transgender explanation is very different. The transgender explanation is that our bodies have absolutely nothing to do with who we are. Actually, I might look like a man. I got the deep voice. I've got the Adam's apple. Okay. But actually, if deep down on the metaphysical level, I think that I'm a woman, then I just am a woman. It's not even complicated. It's not even like I'm 50-50. I just am a woman. My body has nothing to do with who I am. Those are contrary uh, explanations of human nature. And both of them disagree with the true definition of human nature, which is that we're body and soul inextricably linked. But when when we refer to, to Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner as he, that's the standard we're setting. This is the way that we as a country are gonna look at human nature. When we call Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner she, then we're saying, no, no, we're going to adopt this other view. Well, we can only have one view. <laughs> we got, if we can't even agree on the very basic facts of human nature, then we can't have a country. What is a polity? What is a body politic? It's a community of people who broadly share basic ideas about how, how we're going to be governed, how we're going to live together. And, and what the left has engaged in is what Marx famously called the ruthless criticism of all that exists. You see this then develop through the through critical theory, for instance. And now we see the derivation of that critical race theory. What's the theory? The theory is to criticize. You see this through deconstruction and all that. We just tear down everything that had been built up in our civilization. Well, if we, if we can't agree on anything, if we're just living in ruins, then we don't have a country anymore. Then we're all just sort of warring individuals or warring tribes of people trying to gain power over one another. Well, that's not a country. That's certainly not a country I want to live in. Yeah, and that's certainly not a union. And in going back to our founding fathers, they vehemently disagreed on the best way to implement a system of government. They debated between the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists, on uh, how we can actually achieve the goal of creating a more perfect union. But what they started out with that people fail to recognize in today's culture is that they started with a unanimous declaration. They unanimously agreed on the moral truth. They agreed on the worldview state and they agreed on the legitimate purpose of government, so then they can debate on how to achieve that goal. Right now, we have such fractured parties and systems and uh, culture and society and, and warring between all of these different factions on what our goal even is. We're not unanimously agreeing on anything. I mean, people will love to say, well, you're just a Christian, and so therefore I don't have to take into consideration anything you say, even if it's factual. Or, you know, well, like the left, BLM would say, well, you're a white woman, Therefore, you don't have experience to comment on something. And so they're trying, as you just said, Michael, they're decoupling the idea with physical reality of things. And in that sense, when words don't describe the physical reality and the nature of reality, then words can be twisted and manipulated in any sort of uh, way that we want to. I mean, I always use the, the analogy, like if I'm trying to provide proof in court, and the defendant you know, gets on the stand, and even though I have the blood alcohol content, I have the reckless driving, I have the car accident, I have every proof of indicia, but the defendant gets on the stand and says, well, I don't identify as drunk. Oh, you're fine, <laughs> you know? I mean, how far are we gonna take this? Where do you see this of going? Of course. There is no such thing as a totally open society. You know, George Soros, most famous, infamous uh, leftist financier of our age, his, his big project is called the Open Societies Foundation. This is what the left is after. Totally open society, open not just in terms of its borders and its trade routes, but actually open in terms of the very definitions of, of human nature. Well, you run into some problems that way. I th unfortunately, I think the American mind has become so open that its brain fell out. But I'll show you why you need some boundaries. 
we have protections in various speech codes at universities in particular, but in other areas of the law too. Protections of uh, religious groups and sexual identity groups against even being offended in certain places on certain campuses. Okay. If a Muslim student comes out and quotes the Quran, simply quotes the Quran, where the Quran in multiple places condemns people for homosexual behavior and says that these people should be punished. The Quran actually calls for physical violence against them. Is that person abusing someone uh, on the basis of his sexual identity? Is he violating his rights to not be offended on the basis of his sexual identity? Now, if the homosexual attacks the Muslim for just quoting the Quran, is that Muslim student being unfairly victimized on the basis of his religion? I, I actually think both parties could make a claim in that regard. The question is, because these have come into conflict, what is our standard? What, what are we going to prioritize here? We, we can actually bring it right down to reality because there was just a Christian pastor in the United Kingdom who, who is being added to or, or being uh, notified uh, to a terror watch group because he gave a sermon that upheld a traditional Christian sexual ethic and said that we shouldn't get so uh, imaginative in our, in our current <laughs> LGBT, LMNOPQ activism. He said, we defend the Christian view of sex, not, not the modern one. Now he's on a, a terror list in the United Kingdom. Well, it's because the standards have simply changed. So, so the, the question that we have to ask ourselves is not how are we going to have totally open, free everything, but, but what standard are we going to have? As Bill Buckley quoted a former president of Yale in God and Man at Yale, which was the book widely credited with starting the post-war conservative movement, he said, skepticism has utility only when it leads to conviction. It's good to have an open mind. It's good to take ideas into consideration. But then you need to settle on an idea. You have to be convicted of something, and then you have to act on it. Well, well, what do we believe in this country? You know, freedom of speech means nothing to people who have nothing to say, and freedom of belief means nothing to people who don't believe anything. Right, and that, that gets into the whole my truth versus your truth, and I see so many people who try to engage uh, on social media and try to engage in some of the debate by saying, well, I don't want to offend you, and I'm willing to listen, and thank you so much for expressing your point of view, and they never actually arrive on uh, a conclusion or have an end to the conversation because no one has clearly defined, as you said, the standard. No one said, what are we measuring this against? Where is the plumb line? And this also, I think, from a conservative uh, young people standpoint, one of the dangers, Michael, that I'm seeing with a lot of the people who are rising up through the ranks with when they have, whether it's a libertarian view or, or whether we want to typecast it just within that category, but a lot of young people who maybe reject the liberal view, uh, they're, they're trying to reject authority completely. And it's this kind yeah. of movement because these are the same young people that don't want to have the restrictions that the church places on them. They want to say, this is my truth versus your truth. They have bought into this whole idea of a woke humanitarianism. They've bought into this idea that we don't care about the social issues anymore. They're only concerned with economics. But I see that as a really great danger because this then becomes just a smorgasbord of issues that they're picking and choosing and they don't have a comprehensive social ethic that's grounded and rooted in moral truth. Of course, you'll hear them often talk about the dangers of authoritarianism. And you'll notice they sound very authoritarian in their anti-authoritarianism. It's very strange how that works. Uh, but what it really comes down to is that 
we believe some things and we don't believe other things. And there, there's simply no escaping that. Actually, I think that conservatives don't give the radical left theorists enough credit here. The, the father of the new left, Herbert Marcuse, who, you know, he was very, very important in the 1960s. He actually came out of the Frankfurt School and was one of the big guys behind critical theory. But Herbert Marcuse wrote an infamous essay called Repressive Tolerance, where he said that t- intolerance cannot be tolerated. And what that means is, uh, in his view, suppressing conservative speech and encouraging leftist speech. And conservatives always love to cite this as how completely insane it is. However, he makes a good point. Yes, intolerance cannot be tolerated in a tolerant regime. And uh, Chesterton put it better, I think. He said that there is a thought that stops thought, and that is the only thought that ought to be stopped. You know, there, there, are, mm. there are ways to abuse speech to undermine free speech. And I, I think conservatives need to be uh, much more willing to learn from the leftists who completely perverted our culture and our society and be more willing to say, no, we do believe certain things. And certain and things really are off limits. We're gonna stand for it. Absolutely, this is such good stuff. And be willing to learn, period. I mean, if you like what Michael is saying, notice how many people he's citing and quoting. We'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Continuing the conversation with Michael Knowles, my good friend who is host of The Michael Knowles Show on Daily Wire and also author of the brand new book, Get It Now. It is on pre-sale, speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. And Michael, I love this topic and this idea. It's so important for conservatives across uh, the age range, but especially I think for young people who uh, they're just kind of approaching this era as this debate is somehow brand new. When throughout this entire conversation that you and I have had tonight, I've noticed you have gone back to the Founding Fathers. You've gone back to some of the great philosophers and talked about some of these ideas. And I think it's really important for people to understand that if you want to be well-versed on these type of issues, if you want to make a coherent argument, go back and read through all of the philosophy and all of the commentary on this, both, both sides, be very well-versed and well-educated. And I think that our entertainment system has largely contributed to, um, and also Siri and Google and some of these things where you just think, well, hey, they'll tell me the answer in you know, 0.0001 seconds. And there's a lack of analysis from young people rather than uh, actually taking time to dive in deeply. Do you see that same phenomenon? Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the compliment of your calling me well-educated, but uh, frankly, and I say this with absolutely no false modesty, I'm only somewhat educated. But, but the thing is that but today we're, we're, it doesn't have right. to be yeah, formal I, education. You read. Right. And today, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro makes this point all the time. He says, if you read a book about something, you will know more about it than 99% of people. And exactly. I, I think the real, the real importance here, the reason that people really should go back and read the Founding Fathers or read John Locke, for instance, if you're talking about this topic, to go back to the primary sources is because it will prevent you from getting hoodwinked because there are a lot of people today who invoke, uh, who knows, John Locke or the Founding Fathers or the history of America. 
and they're, ju- they're just betting on people's ignorance. So they're betting on people not having actually gone back and looked at what, what these people said, looked at the history of free speech in America, looked, and, and you know, even some people on the right do this as well to fellow conservatives. And I think it's how we've fallen into this trap of accepting the left's talking points here. But it, it's, I think, much more important, if you go back, the history is always so much more interesting than the bumper sticker slogans that people have. And it it will certainly expand your mind and help you see these things much more clearly. Yeah, people love to proof text and they love to take a word or phrase out of context, build a whole doctrine or position or policy statement around it. Uh, The Supreme Court are the masters of that by manipulating the Constitution's language in that way. And if you actually go back and you read the Constitution, you read the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers, you read all of the primary sources, all of the documentation, Uh, of the Constitutional Convention, you will get such a better understanding than just the Constitution that uh, the leftists and also the Supreme Court would have you believe is the correct commentary. And so that's true, I think, for any subject matter and any philosophy. And I think you're spot on, Michael, that it doesn't have to be a formal education. You can do this yourself, and you should be doing this yourself. So one of those really great sources is to pick up Michael Knoll's book, Speechless. And uh, you can do that on pre-order right now. And Michael, I want to turn now to another topic of uh, Elon Musk, who uh, was one of the hosts of SNL, and I found this really fascinating, uh, What, how, how great the ratings were that people actually watched, uh, and then also the pushback that he received before the show and after. Uh, this particular clip was my favorite out of all of it. Look, I know I sometimes say or post strange things, but that's just how my brain works. To anyone I've offended, I just want to say, I reinvented electric cars, and I'm sending people to Mars in a rocket ship. (laughs) Did you think I was also going to be a chill, normal dude? And and I have to say that was so hilarious because both my dad and my brother are actually rocket scientists as well. And so I could see them saying that. And I'm like, yeah, they're not, they're they're chill dudes, but they're not exactly normal, which is actually one of the things that I love the best about them. But uh, but then, Michael, there were these tweets among thousands of others that came out. And these were just some of the most extreme. Um, First, wait, what? Did Elon Musk just like aggressively flash the white power sign during the weekend update? Please tell me I'm insane. Please, no, really. Going to need you to tell me I'm insane. The next one says, definitely never thought Saturday Night Live would send me into a tornado of existential despair. But here we are. I almost don't have the words, but I will say I hope his Tesla crash it catches on fire and he dies smiley face. And then finally, is it possible that Elon Musk wanted to use as many Nazi white power references as possible by calling it Asperger's as opposed to AS, autism spectrum? Hence the hand signals later in the show. Shame on hashtag SNL for allowing this. So, Michael, obviously they're talking about even reinventing symbols and saying now we're controlling these hand gestures, these uh, terms like autism, saying, no, 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 you have to use this other term, otherwise you're a Nazi. I mean, this is exactly what you've just been talking about in your book. Of course, I don't know what's funnier, uh, Elon's monologue, which I felt was very funny, or the ridiculous criticisms of him. What they're focusing in on is the okay sign. I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to be canceled now too, because I did it. This is the sort of thing, Steph Curry will flash these signs when he hits a three-pointer. But if if I were to do it, I'm, I'm a Nazi now or something. And what the left did by, by redefining the, the okay sign to mean white supremacy or something, is they, they flexed their political and cultural muscles because... On the one hand, to say that the okay sign means white supremacy is 
ridiculous, right? But because the left has said it so much, because the left has imposed this new definition, it's sort of stuck. So now if someone does this, do they mean okay? Do they mean a three-pointer? Or do they mean that they're white supremacists? The, the left actually did this to a glass of milk. I don't know if you'll remember this, but briefly <laughs> in 2016 and 2017, they said that the glass of milk is, an, is a new white power symbol. And, and the purpose of this is not clarity. You know, the reason that we have symbols is clarity. And so as we were discussing earlier, you can refer to the objective world with these symbols and we know what we're talking about and we share a language. But what the left wants to do is muddle up all of that language. And the point of political correctness, as far as I can tell, is, uh, or the power of it rather, is not in how it changes the words, it's in the imposition. The very fact that the left can now get you through its ruthless criticism to question whether or not I'm allowed. You say, hey, Michael, I'll see you at the bar later. And you say, okay, see you then. The fact that I have to question that because I say, oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm a Nazi. That is the success of their program. Right. Just like saying, if we say, you know, we're fighting for America now, oh, do I have to caveat that I don't literally mean I'm going to come out with my musket and point it at your head because that's the only thing under the U.S. Constitution and the Second Amendment apparently I'm allowed to. But I think it's really fascinating at the same time that they're harnessing that symbol. And by the way, they called out the Jeopardy contestant who had said, you know, one, two, and then saying three <laughs> like this, which some people, you know, some people use this as three. I personally do this. But either way, clearly he meant three. And somebody's going to screenshot this, by the way, and it's going to be all over like, hey, you know, the two Nazi group, Jenna and Michael are starting some secret organization. But you know what's hilarious? I know. Well, I'll give them something extra then, because when I do three, I usually throw up the Wu-Tang Clan. So nice. they'll have another uh, image for their yeah. for their memes. Yeah. And, and then and then we'll have, isn't this like the Star Trek? Oh, wait, this. That's the Star Trek one, I think. Yeah. I know. It's very confusing. When yeah. is that one going to become I, racist? I don't know. Well, and the, the Unicode consortium is still allowing the OK emoji on the iPhone. So do all oh, of us just... now, we're participating in inherent mm -hmm. racism by Structural using racism. the uh, the emojis. So I'm waiting for that to be canceled. And I think it's just, but where does it stop? And I think that that's really where we need to go in the next segment is to say, how do we harness this back, Michael, and kind of say, okay, we know it's ridiculous. Anyone with half a brain knows this, this is ridiculous, but there are very few people that are as courageous as you, Michael, that are standing up for truth and saying, I am willing to call out that the emperor, the woke emperor has no clothes. We have to be willing to boldly stand firm, to stick behind our standards and say this is rational, it's reasonable, and this is the United States of America. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And again, it is already almost over. These deep dive conversations are so great because we actually get to flesh out a lot of these issues. And I hope that these types of conversations are encouraging you to have these conversations with your friends, to do a deeper dive study, to read more. And I'm talking with my good friend, Michael Knowles, and we have these conversations. I always appreciate it every time I get to go out and visit Daily Wire or when he gets to come to DC. And Michael, we've been talking about this uh, strategy from the left, and I agree with you that 
that conservatives need to get it together and we need to have a better strategy. What do you think is the best strategy for us moving forward to make sure that we're protecting our guardrails? We need to get better at banning things. <laughs> I know that that's sort of anathema. You're not allowed to say that we need to be for open everything. The, the place it's clearest, I think, is in the curriculum. You'll hear the left, they come in and they say, we want to decolonize the English department. They said this at Yale when they tried to kick Shakespeare out of the curriculum. And I thought, wait a second, colon, colonize is when you go into a place with foreign troops and you take over there. So if you're decolonizing the English department by taking out the English writers, that seems like the opposite of decolonizing anyway. Uh, Again, they're manipulating they, the term, totally. They're, they're totally manipulating the term. And so what they want to do in the curricula often is they'll say, look, you used to read Shakespeare and now you're going to read less Shakespeare and you're going to also read Ibram Kendi or Robin D'Angelo or some crazy leftist. And conservatives have basically gone along with this because the left says they want to expand the curriculum. You can't expand the curriculum. The curriculum is a finite thing. There are only so many weeks in the semester. There are only so many books you can read. Every minute that you squander reading Robin D'Angelo or Ibram Kendi or any of that other trash is a minute that you're not going to be spending reading Shakespeare. And so it is not enough to say, well, we just need to at least include Shakespeare. No, we actually have to kick out all of the critical race theory lunatics. Uh, critical race theory is a great example here. Critical race theory is, to quote Chesterton, the thought that stops thought. It actually holds that objective reality is unknowable. Our faculties of reason are completely unreliable. It is poison in a curriculum. You should not merely offer an alternative to critical race theory. You should ban it. You've got to ban it from the curriculum. This is merely standard setting. The left understands this. Conservatives used to understand this. And I hope that we learn to understand it again. Yeah, and I think it's so hilarious that it's such a self-defeating argument, and a lot of conservatives aren't willing to point this out, that if we have a curriculum, which the whole idea of education is to inform you and uh, learn more about truth and substance, to have a curriculum that's supposed to inform you in knowledge that says we can't know anything is self-defeating completely. And so, to, but, but so many people, Michael, want to say that, well, if we are for banning things, if we are for some types of censorship, then that's undermining our argument. But I think what you've established here tonight is we have to be able to say, yeah, we're okay, for example, with saying, I'm okay with illegal votes not counting. I'm okay with people who right. do not have citizenship in one state voting in another state. I am okay with that type of voter suppression. And that, because that's another term that the left loves to use in harness is to say, oh, well, just because you want to have laws and rules that are followed around elections, then somehow you're for suppressing the vote. And voter ID, that's somehow racist. I mean, any particular aspect you go into that the left is trying to reimagine or transform includes breaking down standards and rules. And so I think you're absolutely right that we need to get back to the law, to the rule of law and enforcing it totally. So uh, before I, we I go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just I love this point. You've, you've drawn a great parallel here between the speech issue and immigration, because it's the same kind of ridiculous open arguments you hear a lot. You'll hear conservatives called nativist. So I thought, let me look up the definition. What does the word nativist mean? Nativist means that the government gives preference to its citizens over foreigners. That's horrible nativism. I thought, uh, that just sounds like any reasonable Nations? government ever. Yes, of course, you, you need to do that. But, but uh, conservatives are, are unwilling to, to make those kind of value statements.
Yeah, and yet the left will make the value statement we're completely against constitutional carry in the Second Amendment while they have armed security. We're completely all for the Green New Deal while flying around in our private jets. We're completely for uh, open, you know, everything while we go and censor viewpoints that we disagree with. I mean, they are completely hypocritical, and that's not just a keyword and a punchline. That is actual fact, and that's looking at their yeah. actions compared to what they're doing. So, um, so Michael, really quickly, in just the last a couple of minutes that we have left, I want to go to the public square. All right, so this is a segment that we like to do, and this is going to have to be rapid fire with Michael Knowles, because I've asked you to send in your questions. A lot of them were, why are you guys Nazis, white supremacists? We've already answered that. So um, the best one was, how does it feel to be the worst Daily Wire host? The worst Daily Wire, hold on a second here. I, you know, I think probably that person is referring to the criticism I get from uh, Ben Shapiro and Andrew Clavin and those guys. And look, I get it. They're jealous. I outsold that, or they're envious rather. I outsold them with my blank book. They'd written a lot of books <laughs> with words. I outsold them with my blank book. I'm sorry guys, but they hate us because they ain't us. Well, exactly. And you're the one here and you know who's not here right now? Ben Shapiro. So, hey. Yeah, Darn and Drew and all those guys. <laughs> Drew yeah. and all those. Yeah, yeah. Drew's been here before, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. All right, but we'll have you on uh, again. All right, and then real quickly, uh, what are the three most important books you've read that have informed your conservative worldview? Three most important books that made me a conservative. Uh, Edmund Burke, very important, Reflections on the Revolution in France. Michael Oakeshott, very important, Rationalism in Politics. And then this is going to sound like a cop-out, but it's not real. I'm going to have to say Chesterton Lewis and Father George Rutler. They're all going to be in one, because they're, it's all the, it's same, all the same kind of book. philosophy, basically. Yes. And that, that religious aspect, very, very important to, for the traditional, uh, to temper the traditional conservative thought of, of an Oakshot or a Burke or somebody like that. Okay. Well, you know, you can just reinvent the definition of three. That's okay. I just did. You know, <laughs> It's okay. You, yeah, with the okay you, sign. Good, oh, no, they're going to get us on that. Oh, my thing. gosh. Yeah. Well, you know Can't what? We'll, we'll have to leave it there. But there are a few other questions. And definitely follow at Michael J. Knowles on Twitter. Uh, follow Daily Wire. Listen to him. He has, he's a great commentator. And absolutely get the new book, Speechless, Controlling Minds and Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.